Welcome, everybody, to this Kellogg College 2010 Bynum Tudor Lecture. Welcome particularly to this Sheldonian Theatre, this magnificent extension to Kellogg College. <laughs> Kellogg College is, of course, absolutely delighted um, to have the Archbishop Desmond Tutu as our Bynum Tudor Fellow uh, this year. After he's given his lecture, the Chancellor of the University will officially give a vote of thanks, and at this time, I hope, uh, be able to take one or two questions. We are pressed for time, though, because this Sheldonian Theatre is being used for a concert this evening. So once the Chancellor has finished his remarks, can I ask people, please, to make their way out of the Sheldonian Theatre without uh, too much delay. So there won't be time for me to thank either of the speakers after they, they have spoken, so I just want to thank the Chancellor in advance and, and anyone who's read his, his recent book, What Next? An analysis of the global challenges facing us from climate change to the drugs trade, corruption around the world, will know that we couldn't have had a, a wiser or, or better qualified person to respond uh, to the Archbishop's remarks. Now, I know that the standard procedure for me now would be to say that our speaker, the Archbishop, literally needs no introduction, and then to proceed to introduce him. <laughs> so, rather than do that, I thought I'd tell just one very brief story by lieu of an introduction, which is describe the moment when I became completely convinced that Nelson Mandela would not die in an, an apartheid prison cell. I campaigned against apartheid since the age of 16, and I'm always absurdly optimistic about everything. But during the 1970s and early 1980s, I, like many people, thought the apartheid regime had made the decision that Mandela would never be released, that he would die in a prison cell on Robben Island. And ironically, the moment that dispersed that, dispersed that defeatism for me, and I'm sure a lot of other people, was at the grimmest time of the apartheid regime in the 1980s when the apartheid police were regularly opening fire on their own civilians and at the funerals, the demonstrations against the apartheid regime would unleash more violence in another round of, of funerals and a seemingly endless cycle of, of violence and death. And almost the only face we from the outside world saw of the majority views in, in South Africa were the archbishops, usually at these, these funerals. And I remember one of them vividly where the BBC reporter asked the archbishop, would he be prepared to become the president of a post-apartheid South Africa? And I, along with the rest of the world, I, I'm sure, hoped and expected that he would say yes, he would rise to that challenge and instead he laughed at the BBC reporter in a, in a way a, a school teacher might at a pupil who had misunderstood not just the question but the whole lesson and probably the entire syllabus. <laughs> and the Archbishop laughed and said, no, Nelson Mandela will be our president. And that's the moment I knew that Nelson Mandela, provided the international pressure was maintained as well as domestically, would be released and would become president 
uh, of a post-apartheid South Africa. And of course, the Archbishop was absolutely instrumental in making sure that international pressure, as well as domestic pressure, was maintained to see the downfall of apartheid, and then played a major role in the construction of the new South Africa, chairing the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and now plays a very similar role globally as chairman of the elders, bringing together some of the key figures internationally to try to solve the, the world's trickiest problems. So it really is a fantastic pleasure to introduce the Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Your grace. Thank you very much, Mr. President, Mr. Chancellor, distinguished ladies and gentlemen. It is a very, very great privilege to have been invited to be, for a while, a fellow of this young, not upstart, uh, <laughs> <laughs> this young, vibrant, and innovative college. Uh, I've told the story about, uh, you know, he does not need to be, uh, uh, you know, introduced. Uh, as in uh, San Francisco on one occasion, and uh, a lady came up to me, and she was quite effusive and warm, uh, and said, hello, Archbishop Mandela. Uh, <laughs> sort of getting two for the price of one. <laughs> but it is, it, is, it is wonderful to be back here. And, and uh, congratulations to those of the students who are graduating. I, I gather that at one time, when people hadn't done too well, I, they, they said yeah, you, you had got a Desmond or something. Uh, <laughs> I hope, I hope, I hope, I mean, that there aren't too many who will have done that. Uh, you, you ought to get an upper or, or a first. Uh, Kellogg College, as I was saying, uh, is a, a college that, in my view, is sort of punching above its weight in the contributions it is making to our world, a world bruised and hurting as much as we know it is from ills largely of our making. And I want um, to, to mention uh, especially uh, the uh, newly established Center for Governance and Transparency uh, that this is going to be a division of the, of the, of the college that is going to be, be making a considerable impact and feeling a significant hiatus in our public life. 
but it's a little more above this unknown. <clears throat> then the college does have what I've uh, experienced very briefly as a vibrant human rights department, and one could go on and on and on. And, and in short, it is, it is really uh, an outstanding college. What are the lessons we can learn from truth commissions which have relevance for our common life? You may be aware that many quite sober students of South African affairs in the bad old days had been making quite dire predictions about what would happen in South Africa as a result of the vicious system of apartheid. When a small white minority was riding roughshod over the huge black majority of that country's population. You know, of course, we were being talked about, laws were made that affected our well-being. But we had absolutely no say in the decisions that did affect us. I was an archbishop, a Nobel laureate. I was well into my 50s. And yet in the land of my birth, I did not have a vote. Whereas a white child of 18 years, thoroughly wet behind her ears, enjoyed the franchise. When I became archbishop in 1986, it was a criminal offense for my wife and me to, and our family to live in Bishop's Court because of the Group Areas Act, which designated certain areas as available for only one particular racial group. There were white areas, there were black areas. At that time, I, I, I told the South African government that, uh, look here, I am the archbishop. This is the archbishop's official residence. My, my family and I are going to live in the archbishop's residence. I am not asking for your permission. You can do whatever you, you want. Fortunately, they did nothing. And they had a wonderful mathematics, arithmetic, as it were. Blacks formed 80% of the population, and they were allocated only 13% of the land. The whites were but 20% of the population and they hogged 87% of the land. And then, and then they, they were quite extraordinary in, in many ways. They decided, you know, that, uh, well, no, 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 the black uh, population doesn't form a cohesive 
group. Uh, we really are a nation of minorities. So they wonderfully, by fiat, uh, declared that, uh, well, you know, the Zulu part of the black population were a separate uh, nation, and so on and so on. But what was even bizarre by their own standards was to declare that uh, the Corsa group <laughs> didn't form one nation. Uh, they formed two separate nations. And the white community swallowed all of this tosh. Uh, and even the West, because the West kept saying uh, these were the last bastion of Western civilization uh, against the depredations of a rampant uh, Soviet communist expansionism. And you, you, you had, you knew, I mean, that in the white community, which itself was not homogeneous, you had, if their logic um, were to have been taken to uh, the last extent, uh, then you would have had Africanas forming uh, one nation and being given a particular area of their own, uh, the English, the French, the Germans, the Portuguese, no. They, by some strange alchemy, you know, somehow managed to cohere into one nation. And, yeah, I mean, they, they really believed that they had well, they didn't need to convince us. Uh, but I mean, you wanted, you wanted to have them at least to have tried to make a show of trying to make this thing look reasonable. But you know what? A cabinet minister famously said, ah, oh, well, you know, these blacks, <laughs> They are slow thinkers. <laughs> we, we were slow thinkers. We, we really couldn't have thought that this was utterly ridiculous. And you know that at one time, they didn't let me travel on a South African passport. And so I was given a a travel document. And in the space uh, designed for nationality, you won't believe it, but they, they solemnly put into that space undeterminable at present. <laughs> undeterminable at present, 
by, by people who came from Europe. My forebears and all of those uh, had, had been born and bred in, in South Africa. And you know, uh, fairly recently, uh, I, they, they decided, uh, some people decided that uh, they were going to uh, have, have, uh, have my genome, uh, whatever it is that you do to them, um, <laughs> sequenced. And <laughs> they discover that through my mother, I'm in fact descended from the Sun people, who are the earliest inhabitants of South Africa. Uh, a long time afterwards, when uh, we, we'd been trying to get a meeting with President Reagan um, because we wanted to say to him that his uh, policy of constructive engagement was disastrous for us. And we hadn't succeeded in getting an appointment to the White House. Well, of course, I mean, you know, the, the Nobel Peace Prize does do some extraordinary things. Uh, opens all kinds of doors, uh, and 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 we got an invitation to 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 to, to the White House, and we uh, said we were uh, sitting with uh, President Reagan and his cabinet. Um, my wife sat directly opposite him, um, and I was uh, doing my usual spiel like I'm doing now. Uh, <laughs> And, and she says that uh, during most of what I was saying, he, he was quite uninterested, really, uh, until I spoke about having a nationality that was undeterminable at present. She says, even he blanched. Uh, and, 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 and it sort of maybe began to hit him uh, between, between the eyes. And, and I, I mean, it was, it was an incredible thing. You know, how do you divide people into different um, racial groups, eth ethnic groups? Scientists find it not too easy to describe race. Well, at home, they, they had a, a law, the law of uh, uh, race classification. And they had extraordinarily crude methods that they used. They could come and run a comb through your hair if if, they, if, they, if, if the comb caught in your hair, then you are a Bantu, you are a native. If, if the comb uh, ran reasonably smoothly through your hair, then you were a colored. 
in, 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 in the terminology that was used in South Africa. And, and, and you know, it was, <laughs> in many ways, yes, it was, it was utterly ridiculous, except that people sometimes committed suicide uh, because they, they had been classified and put in what they would have considered a lower group. We were the lowest group. Uh, and, and, and you know, I mean, the kind of thing that they, they did at election time in order to stampede whites to vote for them. They, 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 they had this wonderful thing of showing a picture of, a, of, a, of an unkempt black, uh, and then they would say, uh, do you want your daughter uh, to marry this man? <laughs> well, uh, blacks, blacks uh, had their comeback, you know, and said, show us your daughter first. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I mean, I I am I am in 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 a way reviewing things that uh, m many of you know about, uh, but it is it is to say that is where we we were that is where we come from. Uh, when you when you when you think I mean that if you had a black injured, say, in a, in a road accident, and time was of the essence to get this person to, to hospital quickly, uh, and an ambulance designated for, for whites only arrived, it would leave them here, it would leave them there. <laughs> uh, And even if, well, he succumbed, tough luck. We, 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 had, we, we had to laugh in order not to cry. But they, they had road signs where uh, drive carefully natives cross here uh, and, and, and you I mean some of you would probably know that uh, uh, wags uh, in the ANC and all that changed some of these so that they read uh, drive carefully uh, natives very cross here uh, <laughs> <coughs> <coughs> uh, 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 our, our people, our people tried to use nonviolent means, seeking to persuade their white overlords that they too had a place in the sun, in the land of their birth. You know that our movement was severely restricted by the past laws. And, and one of the wonderful things about 
coming to England for the first time. I, I came in 1962 uh, with my wife, and we would we would uh, walk in the London streets. And your pobies at that you know, at the time were not even armed. Um, and and the the sense of relief, the sense of just being, hey, you are a person, you are a human being. Uh, to meet a, a London Bobby, and 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 you go up to him, uh, uh, say, excuse me, could you direct? And then you say, yes, sir, and he, yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so Leah and I would quite frequently accost a bobby, <laughs> even if we knew where we were going, <clears throat> just, just for this novelty. This, hey, you are, you really are a human being. And, and you know, I mean, that we then had this peaceful demonstration uh, at Sharpeville in, in 1960, March, when 69 people were shot, most of them uh, in the back. Uh, and, and, and that was when most of our political organizations, the ANC, the PAC, and the Communist Party, uh, when they were banned, decided to go underground, go into exile. That's when they decided that, well, uh, using non-violent means um, has been futile. It's brought no results. Uh, and that was when they adopted the, the armed struggle. Our dignity and humanity were carelessly trodden underfoot. And, I, and our leaders were saying, I mean, very simple things. You know, we are human. I, I had not known because I had, I had very little uh, interaction with whites as, as being in, in, in situations where, I, I mean, I would be humiliated and so forth. But it's, it's extraordinary just how pervasive this thing can be. I, 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 we were living in, 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 in uh, London, I was working for the World Council of Churches uh, in something called the Theological Education Fund. Uh, and I used to travel, I, I had area responsibility for Sub-Saharan Africa. <laughs> and uh, my very first visit to Nigeria, uh, we, we were to fly to Jos in, in the north uh, and uh, I get into, into the domestic uh, flight and looking in the cockpit, 
two pilots. And hey, man, I, I grew inches. And, and we, we had a smooth takeoff. And, 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 and it, I mean, it was so exhilarating. And then we hit the mother and father of turbulence. <laughs> I, I cannot believe that the first thought that came to me as we were going all over the place was to say, will these blacks be able to lend us? Now, when we say, when we say a system is not just evil, when we say a system is blasphemous, it is, it is when it can make a child of God doubt that they are a child of God. <laughs> and so all we were saying to them is, you know, we are human. And sort of to paraphrase Shylock to say, when, when, you, when you tickle us, don't we laugh? When, when, when you cut us, don't we bleed? Yeah, you probably did, but uh, you are different. So, it is circumstances such as this that made so many students of the South African situation aware that no, uh, it's not going to be possible for there to be a peaceful resolution. This, this, this is, is something that is through and through intractable. And they, they predicted, many of them, that the only way that this tragedy would have its denouement uh, was in a, in a ghastly racial bloodbath. And, and actually, at, when, after Nelson Mandela was released, uh, during the period of the negotiations for resettlement, when violence actually did seem endemic. I mean, we had massacres. Massacres that did seem to have been uh, engineered by a sinister third force. Uh, we, we had random shootings on our trains um, and uh, drive-past shootings at bus stops and, 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 yeah. It was as if those, those uh, uh, predictions were now sadly being fulfilled. The, the, there's a lovely little story of, of a guy who was driving his car uh, up a mountain road and, and he came to grief 
and, and uh, the car spun and went right down to the bottom. And he managed to grab a, a flimsy twig and was hanging between heaven and uh, perdition <laughs> with rocks down there. <laughs> Help! Is there anyone up there? Yes, my son. Do you trust me? Yes. Then let go of the twig. <coughs> and I will catch you before you get to the bottom. Silence. Help! Is there anyone else up there? <coughs> <laughs> well, many times we, we wondered whether there was anyone else up there. We thought, I mean, that it was curtains for us. <laughs> the, the Armageddon was upon us. And then, and then, and then the world watched with almost all on that incredible day like no other day ever, April the 27th, 1994, when those long, 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 long lines of South Africans of all races stood snaking their way into the, into the post. It was, it was, dear friends, it was, it was an incredible, an incredible moment um, that we, we could have accomplished a reasonably peaceful transition from injustice and oppression to freedom and democracy. The ghastly racial bloodbath had not happened. And what had seemed to be so utterly intractable Wow, it had been resolved. I've often said that what happened in South Africa then, in a way, sort of paradoxically, South Africa becoming a beacon of hope that if it could happen as it had happened in South Africa, then there was no reason whatsoever for it not to happen anywhere else that because it happened in South Africa, we could, we could say in banner headlines, no longer anywhere in the world can we say the situation is intractable. The most difficult situation is capable of resolution. And, and may I uh, interpose a, a, a minute little um, parenthesis here. We won that freedom, but it is a freedom that we would not have accomplished without the, the help of the international community. And, and students 
were fantastic um, uh, as part of this uh, anti-apartheid movement. Uh, and, 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 and you have entered into, into, their, into their legacy. So in, in, in a real sense, in, in thanking you, I am thanking uh, uh, those who were your predecessors. Uh, who, who had this incredible idealism uh, that, that, has been, that has been such a key characteristic of young people uh, most times. And so, dear friends, thank you, thank you. On behalf of, of millions of my uh, uh, compatriots, thank you for the outstanding remarkable help you gave when you supported our call for sanctions, uh, for boycotts, and things of that kind. Can I clap you? But I would ask that you, you join me in case somebody said, we always thought there was a screw loose in that guy's head. Let's, <laughs> please, I, I'm clapping you. And I know that you are incredibly Oh, the British. I used to go to uh, uh, Lords, and Ted Dexter would execute a, I mean, exquisite cover drive. <laughs> and the brim, well played, well played. <laughs> until, 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 until the West Indians came along and were boisterous. Now, no, 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 you, you've, you've, you've caught on and, and you beat us. <laughs> you beat us the other day. But yes, let's, 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 can you join me in clapping you? Eh? I, I don't, no, 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 no. I, don't, I don't actually think that that is uh, enthusiastic. <laughs> you, you, you. So I discovered that I had a, a magic wand. I'm taking it out now. <laughs> uh, and only the wise can see it. Uh, <clears throat> uh, and, and I, when he's got this remarkable power. When I wave it over people, it turns them into instant South Africans. <laughs> so, so I wave it over you, and I say, fellow South Africans, let's give these Brits a real <laughs> Now, come on. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's what was more like it. Yeah. Uh, oh yes. Oh yes. I wave it and you revert to your. <clears throat> so yes. It was to say, no situation ever again can be declared intractable. Well, is that merely a whistling in the dark? 
For many a decade, Northern Ireland has been plagued by what they call over there the Troubles. And then, and then, a good Friday agreement happens. And how many of us ever thought we would live to see the day that a, an Ian Paisley would be seen on television laughing and joking with a McGuinness? Hmm? Hadn't we at some point said, no, we think this is intractable? Huh. If those who are at Dragas Drawn could step back and take a deep breath, their situation can, in fact, ultimately be resolved. Haven't we heard so frequently that we learn from history that we don't learn from history? And what is the lesson we can draw from previous conflicts? It is that in the end, those who have thought a solution can be found only at the end of, at the, at the, end of, a, of, a, of the barrel of a gun, discover that actually they will have to sit down and parley with their opponents. But why, oh why, with all the many examples to hand, do we seem so hell-bent to engage in something as awful as armed conflict? In South Africa, we had many opportunities when we could have found a negotiated settlement. Yes, I know that those who have power, very rarely want to engage voluntarily in a process that means a reduction in their power, in their privilege. Yes, yes. When will we ever learn? Those who have power almost always think they can click. I'm not speaking about anything around here, <laughs> think they can cling to that power and privilege until the cows come home. And when they are shown all the precedents that indicate that you cannot oppress a people forever, then they think they are different. You know, like most of us drivers, when you see the hulks of cars that have come to grief uh, almost always reckon that accidents are things that happen to other people. The people in Ulster could have had an accommodation akin to the Good, Good Friday Agreement without all the misery and the bloodshed that have preceded that agreement. Are we so programmed 
wired in, in that fashion that peace is possible only after strife. Why don't we accept that Jojo is ultimately a great deal better than Wowo? Can anyone tell me one benefit that has accrued from the immoral invasion of Iraq? One day in the Middle East, they will come to acknowledge that yes, it really was better to have sat down to negotiate and not to engage in a brinkmanship that has played such havoc with Israeli, but especially with Palestinian lives. One day, they will acknowledge that no situation is intractable. What happened in South Africa is proof positive that the best kind of security does not come from the barrel of a gun. No, it comes when the inalienable rights of all are recognized and respected. Israel is entitled to acknowledgement of a borders as a sovereign state the pre-1967 borders, and she is entitled to security. Thus, Hamas, or whoever fires rockets at civilian targets is guilty of contravening, contravening grossly international law that forbids military targeting civilians. Israel is guilty of gross violations of international law in targeting the civilian population in, and in the unconscionable blockade of Gaza, subjecting over a million people to collective punishment. She's guilty in constructing settlements on Palestinian land. The International Court of Justice has declared the wall Israel has constructed and is still constructing illegal. Israel is able to thumb her nose at the international community because the West feels so guilty and ashamed of its conduct during the Holocaust. And that is as it should be. But the remorseful the penitent West is not paying the penance, as should be the case. That price is being paid by the Palestinians, and that is not right. And the consequence is that we have the fraught relationship between the West and the Muslim world. And that relationship is not, it's not a kind of prediction I like making, but it is a relationship that is not going to be mended and improved until the question of Israel and Palestine is resolved. You can talk until you are blue in the face about nuclear disarmament, but do we really believe that Israel's neighbors will, would want to observe nuclear agreements 
when Israel has been given the opportunity. The security of the world depends on the resolution of this major confrontation in the Middle East. It can happen. It will happen. Israel, Israeli, Arab, Muslim neighbors must re Israel, sorry, Israel's Arab and Muslim neighbors must reiterate their recognition and acceptance of Israel as a sovereign state in the Middle East. But what is happening to the Palestinians is the worst possible thing if you want to end the so-called anti-Semitism. One day, the Israelis and the Palestinians will ask, why were we so blind, so stupid for so long? Just as we in South Africa asked, why were we so stupid, so blind for so long? Truth commissions demonstrate that we inhabit a moral universe. Right and wrong matter. Justice and injustice matter. And wonderfully, the perpetrators of injustice and oppression are not God. They may seem at one time to be invincible as they strut the stage of the world, but whoopee! They will come a cropper. They will bite the dust and do so comprehensively. Yes, sometimes they continue to sow their mayhem for an unconscionably long time for those at the receiving end of it. But they will get their comeuppance as sure as the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin, Franco, Amin, Marcos, Savimbi, Mobutu, Milosevic, the apartheid rulers, where are they? They have become the flotsam and jetsam of history. We used to say to our people at home, Those people have already lost, despite their military, their police power. They've already lost. And, and we would turn to the whites and say to them, we are being nice to you. We are inviting you. Join the winning side. Join the winning side. Truth commissions reveal too that you and I are capable of the most ghastly atrocities. Those who were perpetrators in South Africa, those who supported Hitler, are not people with horns. And if you look carefully, you'll see their tail. They were ordinary human beings like you and me. They went to church 
they were decent members of their community, it was thought. And so you and I can't ever be hoity-toity. You and I can but say, there but for the grace of God go I. For I don't know, I couldn't predict that if I had been subjected to the same conditions as these people, I wouldn't turn out the same. Truth commissions also wonderfully, wonderfully demonstrate that, you know what? Yes, these atrocities are ghastly. These perpetrators can be awful guys. But it isn't the, it isn't, it isn't, it isn't the end of the story. It isn't, it isn't even the whole story. It isn't even the most important part of the story. The important part is, hey, we human beings can be extraordinarily magnanimous. Frequently in, in, in the TRC, I would say, when someone who by rights should have been bristling with hatred and anger but we're ready, actually, even to embrace in public someone who had done the most abominable things. I would say, I would say, let us keep quiet. Let us keep quiet. For we are in the presence of something holy. We really ought to take off our shoes. For we, for we are standing on holy ground. We human beings are fantastic things. We, yeah, we are made, we are made ultimately. Isn't it incredible that we finite creatures can be, can be those who are made for the infinite, for the transcendent. We, We, I finish, I finish, I notice the chair is uh, getting to fidget a little. Um, <laughs> uh, we, I, I have several little things that I could have said, but I'm not going to say, I'm just going to say, at home, we have something called Ubuntu. Ubuntu, the essence of being human. And we say Ubuntu, when I say Ubuntu, it's the highest accolade I could ever give you. Because Ubuntu says there is nothing like a, 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 an isolated single individual. Ubuntu says, I am because you are. Well, that's why God said to Adam, it's not good for this guy to be alone. <laughs> that he needed, he needed the other so that we make up what is lacking in, in, in each other's gifting. It's fantastic. 
I mean, it is, it is to say, I can't exist on my own. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't know how to be a human being. I couldn't know how to speak. I, do, I wouldn't know how to think as a human being, except learning from other human beings. And so we, we are bound in, in what the Bible calls the bundle of life. If you want another figure, it's that we are family. And if we are family, dear friends, how in the name of everything that is good could we ever justify spending as we do obscene amounts in what we call defense budget? And we know that a small fraction of those would ensure that children everywhere would have clean water to drink, would afford the cheap inoculations that would enable them not to be infected by disease, that they could have a decent home, that they, they would have enough food to eat, that that they would have a good education and affordable health care. These are members of our family. And you, you young people are fantastic in your idealism. I say, don't allow yourselves to be infected by our cynicisms. Go, go out and, and say yes. We, we are going to make poverty history. Yes, we are going out to say, for goodness sake, behave better. We, all we have is this fragile earth home. And how can we be indifferent to emissions that are so destructive and go Go forth, go forth and say, for goodness sake, beat your swords into plowshares and your spears into pruning hooks. It is possible. So say young people, not exclusively, but mainly. They say it is possible for us to live amicably together. Martin Luther King said, unless we learn to live together as brothers, and we will add sisters, then we are going to perish together as fools.
Thank you. The uh, Archbishop, Archbishop Mandela, <laughs> has uh, very kindly said he'd answer a couple of questions, um, but perhaps they could be questions rather than sermons. Uh, yes. I don't think we've got a microphone, but I will try to um, shout your question. Provided I hear it, everybody else should be able to hear it. I think you heard the question. <laughs> do, do, do you know, sometimes one gets upset with God, you know, uh, and, and you say, God, why did you give everybody free will? You should have given it to only a few like me, <laughs> kind of thing. It's, it's that we really have an incredible God. You know, God is omnipotent, we say, but God is impotent as well. God watched as his children put babies into guest chambers. God, the omnipotent, waiting of fellow workers, because God has given us an incredible gift, and God is not going to nullify it, the gift of freedom. It's an incredible, it's, it's a frightening gift, because it is a gift that says, I can become an angel, and I can become a demon. And God says, yeah, I'm, uh, and, God says we wait like God waited uh, for when uh, apartheid would end. Because there were moments when I think many of us would say, why doesn't God send a, a lightning bolt? Uh, I mean, just zap them and zip, 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 and, and it's all over. No. That's the God we, we worship. And I'm afraid the there's no other, it seems, in the, in the marketplace. I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking about uh, those of us who are married. <laughs> we know. <laughs> when, you, when you have to come, come, come back, sort of crawling, do uh, you know, saying sorry 
in any language is one of the most difficult things. And, and we used to say, you know, when people got upset that uh, the perpetrators of apartheid uh, got off rather cheaply. That is, I mean, they had to, to come and confess and, and they got amnesty. And people said, cheap, I said, have you ever had to say to your wife, darling, I'm sorry, in the privacy of your bedroom, with nobody present except you two. These people have to say all of that under the glare of television lights. Can we imagine what it must mean? Yes, I, 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 I'm, I'm laughing a little bit because uh, my wife has put a bumper sticker uh, in a very prominent place uh, and, and it says, you are entitled to your wrong opinion. Yes. <laughs> I, th I thought you said two questions. Yes, two. that's two. That's fine. Two. Yeah. Yeah, two is one, two. Quite. <laughs> I was asked by the president to respond to the Archbishop's remarks, but um, I'm sufficiently aware of the notion of anti-climax <laughs> to uh, keep what I say to uh, a bare minimum. And I just want to say a word about magnanimity, which the Archbishop referred to. Uh, magnanimity, great sold. It's a wonderful painting by Velazquez called The Surrender of Breda, which I think is probably the greatest pictorial representation of magnanimity. It shows the Spanish commander of troops in the Netherlands, actually in Italian called Spinola, accepting the keys of the city of Breda from the surrendering uh, commandant of the city, who is trying to kneel in front of uh, Spinola Many of you will know the painting. And Spinola is trying to pull him to his feet to uh, stop him um, surrendering in that abject fashion. I think it's very easy to tell other people to be magnanimous. Much more difficult, as the Archbishop said, to be magnanimous oneself. Uh, I chaired a few years ago a commission which reorganized policing and security services in Northern Ireland. And as part of the process after the Good Friday Agreement, we held a series of public meetings 
around Northern Ireland, 40 in all, the most difficult public events that I've ever been a party to, which became in a way a sort of Truth and Reconciliation Commission. When people from both communities, and both communities had uh, a legitimate roar of outrage and grievance, would come out and tell us about some of the horrors which had been perpetrated on them or their families. I remember one night in a little fishing village uh, in the Lee of the Morns. Um, uh, we were having a meeting in a, the local cinema, which was very much like that cinema in, in the great Italian film Cinema Paradiso. Uh, and uh, at the end of a rather difficult meeting of a couple of hours, uh, I got up to make my, by then, rather familiar little speech about the importance, and uh, now the troubles appeared to be behind us, of generosity of spirit, of healing, of uh, kindness from all sides, and moved, started to move off the stage thinking of uh, the whiskey that awaited me at Hillsborough. And before I could get very far, a little old lady at the back stood up and said, Mr. Patton, Mr. Patton, before you go, just one question. So I sat down for her question and she said, it's all very well, she said, for you to come over here and make those pretty speeches about reconciliation and magnanimity. She said and she leant forward and touched a young man two rows in front of her on the shoulder and she said, it's all very well for you to say these things, Mr. Patton, but this man here killed my son. And it was true. So I think we need to remember sometimes that uh, truth and reconciliation, that magnanimity, involved the most extraordinary and generosity on behalf of individuals. Who'll never forget, but have to put that behind them when they remember. Louis McNeese's uh, father was the Bishop of Down and Connor was a very, very great preacher. And during an earlier series of ethnic conflicts in Northern Ireland, he made a, gave a wonderful sermon in which he took as his text, the line from the Old Testament, remember the past, the better to forget it. And that I think is, it's the best argument for being a historian, which is after all a very subversive subject it's the best, I think, argument for truth and Recon reconciliation commissions, uh, remembering what happened, the better to avoid it happening again. Uh, I hope that that's how we'll deal with the, some of the awful consequences of the politics of identity, uh, racism, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia. Uh, I hope that uh, uh, we'll recognize that things can get better. I was at a conference this weekend listening to Tom Foley, the former speaker of the American House of Representatives, talking with great emotion about his sentiments when President Obama was elected. Uh, you may, may, may remember the story of Vice President Nixon as he then was attending the independence celebrations in Ghana.
and going up to one a black couple and saying, what does it feel like now, he said, to be able to speak freely and vote in an election? And the husband of the couple said, I'm afraid we don't know, we come from Alabama. Well, I think for many Americans, like Tom Foley, like Colin Powell and others, the election of President Obama did show that um, all things can be well and all manner of things can be well. But that's based on the bravery and courage of individual men and women like our lecturer today. This is a, a great uh, theater, as you know, built he didn't realize it at the time uh, by Christopher Wren as an adjunct to Kellogg. <laughs> and there have been many speeches down the years about uh, human rights and social justice, um, but I don't think there has been a greater champion of those things than the man we heard today. So thank you, Archbishop, for coming. Thank you.